Anybody this morning ever dislocated a joint or broken a bone? Anybody? I figured we'd have a pretty good, pretty good crowd. Um, I, uh, I dislocated my thumb probably, I don't know when it was, I think Nate was in middle school. And uh, Mountain Area Christian Academy was trying to put together a, a, a football team. They were, a small, they were a small school, so it was going to be a seven-on-seven, I think, a football league. They were trying to put a team together. So I said, I, you know, Nate was going to play, and I said I'd go. I could help with practice if they needed something. And so um, they didn't really need me, so I just kind of would watch. But uh, one day they were going to, they were, they were punting. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll retrieve the balls. Like I said, small school, not so many kids. So I went out there and, and they had, a, I don't know, like this guy kicked the ball. It's floating around up there. I went to catch it and it landed right on the top of my thumb. And so obviously it hurt and I could look at it and I, you know, you just look and go, oh, that's not right. Um, so I just, I, you know, I grabbed it and I pulled it out and, you know, just continued to retrieve punts, went home, kind of went on my way, and, and uh, it was sore, it was swollen, but I kind of, I did, I was an EMT, right, at the time, so I could do my own self-diagnosis, and I said, it'll be fine, and uh, of course, a few days later, when, when I realized, you know, I was trying to, I was starting to use, try to use my hand a little bit, and I had no grip strength in my hand, I realized, okay, it's not going to be fine, and I had to go see the doctor, the doctor said, you need to see an orthopedic surgeon. And of course, had surgery to get that fixed. It's in great shape. Um, but is, is that the way it is a lot of times in life? You know, we kind of do our own self-diagnosis or we think we can just take care of it by ourselves. Like we don't, we don't need any help. And so for me, it's like car repairs, home improvement, those kinds of things. I think, man, I, I could tackle those things by myself. I don't need somebody to come in and help me with that. Now, taxes, I'll just, you know, somebody else can take care of that. And so um, we have different people with different abilities, can do different things. And sometimes, though, we just, we can't do it all ourselves. We need a little bit of help. Anybody relate to that? Well, last week, uh, I I, I left you with a a small homework assignment. You you remember that? You were here last week, a small homework assignment. This is the self-diagnosis part. Right? My self-diagnosis on my thumb was not so great, but self-diagnosis last week uh, to go home and just examine yourself and say, what are my priorities? Like if, if you were to actually look at the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the, 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 the things that you do throughout the week, like what are your priorities? And then to look at what are biblical priorities, and then try to do an assessment. Do they line up? What adjustments could I make so that my priorities are also biblical priorities? And this was the, this was the assignment from last week. And the, our, our message last week was about aligning our behavior to our biblical beliefs. And that's kind of the theme of the book of Titus as we're going to work through it. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1 uh, again this morning. So we talked about um, having, having faith in Jesus, having a knowledge of the truth should lead to a certain type of behavior, a biblical behavior, uh, a life that imitates Jesus instead of imitating the world. And so as we get into the rest of chapter 1, we're going to contrast the changed life with the old life. There will be more next week than this week. Uh, because here in Titus, 
chapter one, starting in verse five, we have a section, if, you, if your Bible has titles, it probably says something like qualification for elders. Um, and uh, so we might ask the question, well, why did the church need elders? Uh, in, in the, on the island of Crete, where Timothy was, where this letter was written to, um, there was a, there was a, a, a young church there. Um, of course, all churches were, were new and young in, in 50 or 60 AD. Uh, so they needed to, they, the, particularly though, the churches in Crete, young believers, um, they needed help kind of doing a diagnostic of where they were, uh, what did they need to improve? What changes did they need to make? How could they put themselves in a position for continued growth? And so this is, uh, this is where we find ourselves. Titus chapter one, uh, we're gonna read about five verses uh, and then we'll pray together. Paul, writing to Titus in verse five says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Lord, as we spend just a few minutes looking at your word this morning, would you give us uh, understanding in these instructions that you had for these believers on the island of Crete? And as believers in, the, in North America this morning, I pray that we would be able to discern uh, what you have for us this morning and, and how this applies to our lives in this age. Uh, guide us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we talked last week just briefly Paul and Titus ministering together. Um, Paul being the older believer, Tim, excuse me, Titus being the younger believer, possibly even Paul led Titus to the Lord. They were ministering together. Paul was mentoring Titus. Uh, but uh, Titus must have had some things together. We talked about last week, this island of Crete, uh, there was a rough bunch that lived there, a lot of port cities. And, uh, and, and Paul says here in verse five that he left Titus in Crete so that he could put what remained into order. So Titus must have been a pretty good guy. Like Paul was entrusting him to stay on the island and to work with these churches. Now surely when Paul and Titus were on the island together, they probably had uh, some sort of evangelistic ministry. They were probably leading people to the Lord. Possibly they were um, strengthening the churches that were there. Possibly they were uh, starting new churches. And, uh, so, but we have some, some young believers there. It's possible, though, when Paul and Titus arrived on the island, there already were churches there. When we read um, in Acts chapters 1 and 2, before Jesus ascended back to heaven to be with the Father, uh, he told the disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until I send someone to help you, which would be the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, uh, Acts chapter 2 lists... Uh, um, 
people were from all over. And there's a, a, a list of all the, the nations and regions that people were from. And it says that there were Cretans there. People from the island of Crete were there to hear pre- Peter preach on the day of Pentecost. So possibly they came back to the island and already had churches there. Um, either way, though, uh, this, was, this was an island that was hedonistic. Uh, we're going to see next week that they were self-described as liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And these churches, these young churches, needed help. So Paul says right here in verse 5, he left Titus on the island of Crete for two reasons. And the first one says, so that you might put what remained into order. The NIV says to straighten out what was left unfinished. And uh, so I, I love, you know, as, a, as pastor of the church, I'm, I'm always thinking, man, we've got, we've got things to do. We could, we could uh, make some adjustments here. We could do a little bit better here. We could change this. We could move into this area. And so I look here and I'm encouraged because these churches on the island of Crete were the same way. They had areas that they, they needed to look at and straighten out a little bit. So it's a... Um, we're going we're gonna to look at some, some of the Greek words today, and I don't do this all the time, but sometimes we do, and it just seemed appropriate looking at this text to kind of dig into some of these Greek words today. So uh, here's the first one, this phrase to put into order, um, put what remained into order. So this idea of putting, the, putting into order means to, as the NIV said, to straighten out. Uh, so this is the Greek word. And so the caveat here is, as always, I'm not a Greek, Greek scholar. There's probably other people that could pronounce these words better than me. I just do my best. Um, epidiortho. Epi, epidiortho. And so you, you recognize maybe the, the last part of that, ortho. Orthopedic. So um, uh, uh, orthopedic would be the branch of medicine that deals with the bones, particularly deformed bones or broken bones to straighten them and to support them. And so um, this idea of straightening out was Paul saying, there's some things that aren't quite right. I, I need you to straighten them out, support them so that they can grow and they can heal and become what they're supposed to be. So Paul is calling Titus to be a spiritual orthopedic. Find out what was deformed, find out what was broken, and put it back into order to give them a structure that they could minister out of, uh, allow them to be healthy in their organization. And so uh, our homework last week was sort of doing that on a personal level, right? Looking at our, uh, our own personal lives and evaluating what needs to be put back into order, what's, got a, what's gotten out of alignment a little bit, and what could be straightened according to God's word. So Paul tells Titus here, I, I need you to help the churches straighten things out and put things back into order. So you can imagine that this would be a big job. And so the second thing Paul said to Titus is to help with this first thing. He says, and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. All right, so this is our next Greek word. What, is, what does Paul mean when he says appoint elders in every town? Now, this is the Greek word presbyteros, presbyteros. Uh, basic definition means it's an older person, elder, 
right? Good, good English word we chose. But there's a couple of different ways it's used in scripture. So in the gospels, speaking to um, the Jewish people, we read over and over again that Jesus has interactions with the chief priests and elders, the chief priests and elders. So these were the chief priests, these were the religious leaders, and the elders would be uh, the, the men that made up the Sanhedrin or the council that, that ruled um, the Jewish people and, and administered justice. It was their form of government, even though ultimately they were under Roman rule, they still had their own Jewish leadership. And so in the, in the gospels, when you read the chief priests and the elders, you're talking about those who were the leaders of the Jewish people. Then starting in the book of Acts, when we see this word elder, it has a a different meaning. It's not for the Jewish people and the uh, sort of the governmental leadership, but it is uh, for those who are presiding over assemblies of believers. So these were were men chosen to, um, to lead the early church. And so uh, when you're reading in your Bible, it seems like it's it's very consistent across almost all translations. This word presbyteros will be translated elder probably in your Bible. And of course, you're familiar with the Presbyterian church uh, that that would exist today. And they probably chose that name because they decided that those churches would be ruled or governed by elders. All right, so... Um, as, we, as, we, as we're reading, Paul, uh, P- Paul says to Titus, appoint elders in every town. If you notice, though, in verse 7, speaking of the elders, Paul says, for an overseer. And he's uh, describing uh, what an overseer is. So you have to stop and say, well, is he appointing elders in towns or is he appointing overseers in towns? And just stay with me as we just do this little Greek study this morning on some of these words. So what is an overseer? Your translation might say bishop. Uh, It means just like it sounds, an overseer, someone who provides oversight. And so um, it is the Greek word episkopos, episkopos, which means to be charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. They're just in a position of leadership. They, they know what's supposed to happen and they're supposed to oversee to make sure that it happens correctly. Uh, maybe it's, it could be similar to a, a manager. And so it's the word episkopos. And of course, we're, there's Episcopalian churches today who would be governed by bishops. So that's, that's where that would come from. So you're saying, okay, well, where do we fit in here at House of Prayer? Like, what about the pastor? Like, don't most churches, aren't most churches led by a pastor? Well, if you read your New Testament, you're probably not going to see the word pastor. So why do we use the word pastor? Well, pastor is a Latin word that means shepherd. And as we read in the scriptures, we do see references to shepherds. And so as a shepherd is one who would care for a flock of sheep or a shepherd shepherds sheep, then a pastor cares for a group of people or a pastor pastors a congregation. All right, so we can see, I don't think uh, they've got this verse, but Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, um, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which are the poimen, 
that's the Greek word, poimen, and teachers who are to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is the role of a shepherd or the role of, as we would just say, a pastor to care for, to equip the saints. Okay, we're gonna bring it all together now. We have elders, presbyteros. We have uh, overseers or bishops, episcopos, and we have shepherds, the poimen. You guys still with me? Okay, we're gonna put it all together. This is why we're doing this. I got two, two passages here to look at. Acts chapter 20. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been checking in with various churches and various towns, and he's headed to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he said, I want the presbyteros from the church in Ephesus to come see me before I go to Jerusalem. And this is, he had a bunch of things to say, but verse 28 in Acts chapter 20, this is one of the things that he said to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves, the elders, pay attention to yourselves, and to all the flock, to the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to care for, poimeno, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the presbyteros are called to episcopos and poimeno. Elders are to oversee and to shepherd. First Peter chapter five, in verse one. As a fellow elder, this is Peter, that was Paul's take on it, this is Peter's take on it, both through the Holy Spirit. As a witness of Christ's sufferings and partaker of the glory to be revealed, I appeal to the elders, to the presbyteros among you. Be shepherds, be poimeno, care for God's flock that is among you, watching over them, episcope, oversee, give oversight, not out of compulsion, but because it is God's will, not out of greed, but out of eagerness, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Okay, so all all of that to say, this is our conclusion. Anybody tracking with me still? Okay, if you, if you, if you like got on an off-ramp and you're like, I'm not sure where he is anymore, this is the on-ramp, okay? <laughs> Elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, pastor, all talking about the same person. Okay, this is our conclusion. That was a long ways around, but for some of you, that's very helpful. And if you're like, I don't... That's not for me. Then this is the conclusion. Elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, pastor, all words describing the same person. Now, if, if any of you out there were like, man, that was kind of fun. I've never done something like that before. Let me give you a tool. One, you could, you could if you're a book person, you're looking for a Greek lexicon. You can use a Greek lexicon to travel through and find all those things. If, if you just want something you could use on your phone, download an app called the Blue Letter Bible, and you can figure out how to use it on your own, uh, and uh, you can dig and you can find some of those things. You can do word searches. So, all right, what do we do here at the House of Prayer? We, I get this question asked a lot. 
do we have elders? Who are the trustees? What do the deacons do? Let me just give you a quick rundown of what we're doing here at House of Prayer. We have, uh, we have pastors here at the House of Prayer, paid pastors, myself, Pastor Daryl, Pastor Peter, and our role is to provide spiritual care and oversight to the flock. We're here this morning, Sundays through Sunday school, through Wednesday night ministries. This is what your pastors are doing on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. Yes, the running joke is what pastors work one hour a week. We're here all the time. We're in the community all the time. We're, we're doing our best to care for God's people. The elders, we do have elders here at the church, and their role is to help the pastors provide that same spiritual care and oversight to the flock. Our elders love the Lord, they love people, and they have a history of serving the Lord, serving others, and these are, are good men that, that help with the ministry of the church. Now, at, here at House of Prayer, we haven't always had elders, though. It's, this is new in the last, I believe, six years, probably, Gary. And so we also have a board of trustees, and historically, here at House of, uh, House of Prayer, the trustees have given oversight to the church in all areas, including some of these roles that, would, that we're, we've now asked elders to come in and help with, which would be the spiritual oversight and ministry of the church. And again, these are good men, they love God, they love people, and they have uh, served and continue to serve well. So um, one of the things that we do for both, both of our trustees and our elders is we look at this passage that we're looking at in Titus. We look at 1 Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven, when we are uh, bringing in a new elder or a new trustee, these are the passages we go to, to look for qualifications. And then we, we do have deacons here at the House of Prayer, which we're not talking about at all this morning, other than to say deacons here at the House of Prayer do a great job of serving. Uh, and so they provide leadership through service to you, the body of Christ. Okay, so back to the text. Verse five here in Titus, Paul left Timothy in Crete for two reasons, to set things in order, put the church in a position to be strengthened and to grow in their faith. And then number two, to appoint elders, which is plural in every town. In other words, um, there should be a plurality of leadership, we call it. So that's not just one person making all the decisions. There's a group of people um, making decisions, helping to provide an environment where God can be worshiped, God can be Uh, learned about, where fellowship can happen. We serve a God of order and not chaos. So especially here on the island of Crete where they had young churches, uh, where they lived in a culture that was wild and unruly, the answer to that was strong, godly leadership. And that's what we look for in our church today. So talking about aligning our behavior with our beliefs, Paul now gets ready to Uh, give us a list of qualifications for an elder. Another way that you could look at it is a list of characteristics that we would look for in a mature believer. Um, And so there's a couple things just just to mention as we look at this list. On the one hand, this list is a specific list. These are the the characteristics that a, a person who is chosen to be an elder in a church should have. And so in some ways, it's very specific. And in other ways, um, it's, it's a list that's for all of us. There's, uh, as, we, as we seek to become more and more like Christ, we can look at this list, and, and we would certainly say this is a, a list that we could, uh, of characteristics that we should uh, uh, 
seek to have in our own lives as we seek to imitate Christ. So uh, I don't want you to tune this out and say, well, I'm not an elder, I don't want to be an elder, so this doesn't have anything to do with me, because um, in addition to giving us good principles for living a godly life, this passage, among others, teaches us what godly leadership should look like. And as, as a, a body of Christ, we choose together who our leaders will be. And so we should all be aware of what godly leadership should look like um, as we appoint uh, new elders as necessary, new trustees as necessary, and as these men come up um, in our annual business meeting, which we had last month, we have the, our leaders come up um, on a schedule for a vote of confidence. And so we want to know what, what we are looking for. So in verse 6, it says, if anyone is above reproach, that is uh, the idea that they cannot be called into account, that would be the definition of uh, above reproach. In other words, it's not that they are above the law, you can't question them, but they live in such a way that you would not have cause to question them. So in other words, um, um, I'm gonna, is Alan, is Alan and Angie Young here this morning? Alan is here, I'm sorry, Alan. I, I love Alan, he's a wonderful man, he's a, one of our elders. But let's just say that somebody came to me and Alan works over at the, at the um, at the Elijah's Closet, helps with clothing, he's there on Wednesdays. Let's just say to me, Pastor Jeff, did you know that Alan is stealing clothes from the closet? (laughs) He goes out there and it's one bag for them, one bag for him and Angie. I've seen him do it in the back of his car. I'm glad you're laughing because it's a silly illustration. Um, So Alan should live a life that is above reproach, which means that if someone were to come to me with something like that, I would say, Alan, are you sure? Alan Young? I I can't believe that. Now that's not to say that my response was, Alan's one of our elders. We don't question Alan, right? I would say to that person, let's go talk to Alan. I'm sure there must be some sort of misunderstanding. And so we would certainly address the question, but the question, when I hear it, would be like, certainly that couldn't be Alan. So it's not to say that our elders cannot be questioned, but they would live in such a way that some of these questions would be like, I can't even believe that, but certainly let's go talk to him about it. I hope that all of us would live in such a way that we would welcome a question so that in our lives so that we could provide clarification. Right? We're living in such a way we've got nothing to hide. You're above reproach. I'm not hiding anything. Surely you could ask me if you have a question about me, and I'm speaking of myself now, I would want you to ask me. And if, and if you thought something, then, then either I would need to repent of my sin or I could provide clarification. Okay, so just uh, um, wanted to make that clarification. Above reproach, they're living a life worth imitating that if, uh, if, they, if their character was, was questioned, someone would go, really? But it doesn't mean that they're above being questioned. We could talk to them um, about it. Nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it right all the time. Um, but generally speaking, we're talking about someone who lives above reproach. And as we get into this section, and again, it's going to be more next week, I believe this idea of being above reproach is like an umbrella that all these other characteristics kind of sit underneath. 
Um, and then the other thing I would say as we, as we talk about this, uh, this umbrella of being above reproach is we're talking about a person's, or in this case an elder's, present reality. I'm not going to pick on any more elders. But let's just say that uh, you had, you had a, a, a man who had a, an issue with alcohol 20 years ago. Would you say, well, they were an alcoholic 20 years ago. Certainly they cannot be a leader in our church today. You could shake your heads, no, we wouldn't do that. But what about if, if, a, if a man came to me and said, Pastor Jeff, I've just celebrated my third month sober. Would you consider me for leadership in the church? Now certainly I would celebrate with that person. I would encourage them. I would, I would, I would work with them and find a place for them to serve. Everyone can, can find a place to serve. But I would say maybe let's give it a little bit more time before we find a place of leadership for you. But we have these great ministries. There's lots of great ways for you to get involved. So uh, uh, that's, this is kind of the umbrella of above reproach that everything's going to fall into. Uh, it's not that nobody can be questioned. It's not that, nobody, that somebody would get any or all of these things right. And we're kind of dealing with the present reality. All right, so an elder will be someone who is above reproach, the husband of one wife. All right, this is a unique phrase in the Greek. It's not found too often in the Bible. And even outside of the Bible, scholars say, and I'm not a scholar, I'm just drawing on what they've written about it. Scholar would say, this isn't a phrase that you would just see all the time. So uh, this does raise questions uh, for churches in how do we define the husband of one wife. So in, in Greek, the, a literal translation would be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. So on the one hand, it's specific, and on the other hand, it's like, well, what exactly does that mean? So um, let me just say right away that we see that an elder, first qualification for an elder is that they are a man, a more specifically, a one-woman man, but an elder is to be a man. And so immediately in the year 2021, we have people crying foul, right? All, already, now we're being discriminatory. And I, we're going to maybe touch on this in a couple weeks. Let me just say this uh, for this morning. I believe that the Bible teaches that men and women are equally important. Men and women have equal value, one is not better than the other. Both men and women are created in the image of God. There are different roles. The Bible is clear. Men and women are not the same, even though we are equal. And so um, I'll ask for permission just to leave it at that for now knowing that when we get to chapter two, there's specific instructions for men, there's some specific instructions for women, and we'll kind of touch on that a little bit um, in, a, in a couple weeks. I think it might be the first weekend in November. But for now, what does it mean to be a one-woman man? Well, uh, again, I think, well, let me give you three, three kind of options. Um, there's maybe three, at least three like prevailing lines of thoughts that this is the most important thing that we must take away from this statement. And, and the first one would be that a man, it must be a man that is faithful to his wife. A man that loves his wife well. A man that loves his wife as Christ loved the church. 
really just talking about that person's present reality. He's married, he loves his wife. Again, he's above reproach, he would be looked at as a good husband. Uh, somebody else might say, or another group would say, well, no, the, the, the big takeaway here is that uh, this, this guy doesn't have more than one wife. Like, he doesn't have two or three wives. Now, for us today, we would like, okay, that's not even an issue. But it, it, it's a very potential um, explanation for what Paul might have been writing about in the first century, because polygamy was something that was uh, quite common. So it's possible uh, that that could be the, the issue that Paul was trying to uh, deal with. Some now would say that that would also extend to someone who has been divorced and remarried because now that man has had two wives and this says a one woman man. So then the question is, are we talking about a man's present reality or are we talking about the history um, of their life. And I'll say this this morning, that the Bible, I believe the Bible teaches that God's intention is that when a man and woman come together in marriage, it's for life. Like that is, that is God's intention. There are limited um, exceptions that we would see in scripture, but that is the intention. So the issue of, of divorce and remarriage, uh, when it comes to this, is this a uh, does this prohibit a man who's been divorced and remarried to be, um, to be an elder? And I would say that this is a case-by-case basis that we would look at, at something like that. There could be situations where you would look at that and say, uh, no, I don't think so. And there could be situations that you would look at and say, um, I believe this man could serve as an elder um, without hesitation. So um, let me give you the third uh, possibility. We take this very literally. This man must be married. Uh, This man must have only ever had one wife and must be faithful to her. Uh, So some would say this would be be a very strict um, interpretation of this. Now, you would at this point say that the Apostle Paul couldn't be an elder in a church because he was never married. Um, And so, so this, I don't know that there's a, uh, a ton of clarity in this, and, and one of the things that I do with scripture is when, when God's not necessarily completely clear with something, maybe it's because there was, was not like a, a real, real narrow definition. Maybe there's um, a, a principle there, but, but doesn't cover every, um, every specific situation. And so um, I think one of the things that we that I said right from the beginning, we're looking at this umbrella of being above reproach and a present reality. If if we um, if if the the rest of our lives moving forward is going to be dictated by things we did five and ten and fifteen and twenty years ago, none of us will move forward, or a lot of us wouldn't move forward very far, myself included. But by the grace of God, um, there is forgiveness, there's not condemnation. And so um, there is, um, I think, one thing that every one of these positions would agree with, that in, in a, a man's present reality, if he is married, he is faithfully committed to his wife. He loves his wife as, as, he, as Christ loved the church and is, a, in, and is committed to her. All right. 
above reproach, the husband of one wife, and children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, uh, my translation says believers. Many says his children are faithful. Um, And I believe either uh, definition is, or either translation is possible translation. Um, This word, it's the Greek word pistos, Um, And so if you were to look at the Greek word pistos in the New Testament, sometimes it is referring to somebody's salvation. Sometimes it is referring to the fact that they're faithful, that they are trustworthy, that they can be depended on. And so that obviously those are two different, those are two different things. And so again, which one does it mean? Well, if it was absolutely critical that we knew it was one or the other, then I think God would spell it out for us a little bit more clearly. So we could look at this a couple of ways. One um, argument is that uh, if, if an elder has a Christian who's not a believer, does not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, some would say, how could he lead a church if he cannot even lead his own child? Um, Now, well, what about a man who came to faith later in life and didn't raise his children in church? Then would, does that automatically say, well, he could never be an elder because his children are not believers? Um, There would be the question, well, what if, what about their adult children? Does a, is a man held responsible for the actions of his 40 year old children? that may or may not be walking with the Lord, even if they were raised to believe and to follow and to trust in the Lord. I think one of the things that we can take away from this, though, is that there is a clear instruction. Children are either are to be believers or are to be faithful. In other words, um, that, they, that the, the elder has some sort of control, if you want to say, or at least holds respect, not that they're controlling adult children, but has raised their kids in such a way that their children respect them, that there is a relationship there, whether or not they're believer or just faithful um, in, in in, in the way that they interact. Not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Again, are we going to hold an elder to the same standard if we're talking about their 14-year-old child in the home or their 40-year-old child who is on their own. I think there's two different ways to look at it there. I wish I could take a look at verse six with you this morning and just say this is the the clear interpretation of scripture. There is no question. But verse six is a verse that we have to wrestle with, that we have to, to look at together and as individuals and say, what does this, what is this saying? How are we going to uh, interpret this? How, um, how are we holding somebody accountable? And I think, again, we're, we're gonna look at it as we continue next week with this overall umbrella of being above reproach and looking at it in a, a, a man, because we're talking about an elder, they're current present reality. How are they currently living life? How have they been living life in the last six months or in the last year? And so we look at, um, we look at their family situation, their, their marriage and their children through that lens. We're gonna see that the selection of, of an elder, the selection of a church leader is not a small thing. 
we have to, re- we have to remember that uh, nobody is perfect. Nobody can, when we read through this list, continuing next week, nobody makes the cut. Nobody, 100%. Uh, but that is our Christian reality. We are all seeking to become more and more like Christ, more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, and more like Jesus in the coming year than we were in the past year. And through the grace of God in our lives, we can imitate Christ, and that's what, as we choose leaders, we're choosing leaders that are imitating Christ and are seeking to imitate him even better as they seek to serve him. So um, just, we're gonna leave it there for this week. We've just really begun to lay the groundwork um, for this section on, on elders. We're going to look at it more closely next week in these next few verses. Um, hopefully, some of, some of this uh, that we've talked about, the, whether it's a, an elder or a bishop or an overseer or a shepherd or a pastor, as you're reading through the New Testament and seeing some of these words, uh, you've, you've got a little bit of a, a richer understander, understanding of this. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We all have this calling to imitate Christ. Wouldn't it be something special if we lived a life so that we could say as Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ? There's a certain boldness that Paul had to make that statement. There's a real hesitancy that I have to make that statement. Imitate me? I've got so far to go. I I fall so short of the glory of God that Romans 3.23 would say. And yet we have a calling to imitate Christ. We have a calling to encourage one another and to build each other up as we seek to imitate him together. And our church elders are here to help us on that journey. They're not perfect. They haven't got it right. But that's good because none of us have. And they're there to do it with us. So uh, this morning as we, as we close um, in prayer, um, James Rains, I think, will be available to pray. Our elders and, and possibly their wives will be available to pray. And if you're um, looking, looking at this, and, and really, we really, I know for the, this morning, we really just kind of focused on this idea of what, um, what does it mean to be an elder. But the idea that we're, we're, we're hitting on, carrying into next week, is what areas in, in my life personally do we ha- need some, some work, some epidiortho, some straightening out, some realigning? Um, where, where do we need to um, look at God's word and look at our life and say, we just need to steer it a little bit back on track? And as a church, we've appointed um, leaders, elders and, and trustees and deacons. And these, these, are, these are men that we can trust to to talk to, to bring our concerns with, to ask for prayer. And, and these, are, these are people that have committed to say, I am willing to give of myself to help straighten out, to help realign, to help support so that we can grow together. So if you've got any sort of request on your heart this morning, uh, please take advantage of, of coming this morning and, and praying with an elder. I know they would be thrilled to speak with you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Uh, Peter tells us um, that, that sometimes 
your word is difficult to understand and we have to wrestle with it. We have to seek to, to come to an understanding on it. And this is a, this is a verse uh, here in Titus that um, lots of, of good scholars, uh, lots of godly churches uh, would look at it differently. And so Lord, as we, as we come to it this morning, uh, and as, as we come to your word every morning, Lord, we, we have, just have a heart to have understanding. Lord, what do you have for us? What is, what is your will? What is your way? And as we understand your will and your way, we can uh, align ourselves. We can straighten out anything in our own life um, that, that we need to, to align ourselves with you. And Lord, I'm thankful for the, for the elders uh, that you have and, and given us in this church and the other church leaders who um, are committed, committed, faithful men to helping us as a body live according to your word. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning just needs to uh, straighten something out in their life, they would uh, just have the courage to come forward and speak to uh, one of our uh, prayer partners here this morning about straightening that out. Lord, I, I, I'm just thankful for the testimony that St- Stacy gave this morning um, of her salvation when you came and you saved her because of her faith and trust in you. She said that she found a peace that she could never have found in the world in a relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, um, if, there's a, if there's someone here this morning that just does not have peace, they would come to pray and talk with, uh, with one of our prayer partners this morning. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us um, a structure and, a, and um, guidance in how we can come together as a group of believers to worship you, to know about you, uh, to serve you, and to make your name known in our community. Would we be found faithful as we uh, seek to follow your will? And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.